You're listening to Catalyst for Change, and my name is Jessica Huckabee, your host. I started this podcast to learn what makes people resilient after challenging events and how they've used those series of events as a catalyst for change in their life. You'll hear stories of resiliency and strength, so get ready, sit back, and be prepared to be inspired. Today, my guest is John Johnston. John is an IT professional living in Chaska, Minnesota with his wife, Heidi, his dog, Esther, and two cats who shall rename nameless by their request. In his spare time, he talks about college sports, particularly the Nebraska Cornhuskers, while podcasting, writing, and shooting with the camera whenever he can. And he'll tell us more about the experience that happened where he died in 2015 and actually came back to life and how that was a catalyst for change in his life. Thank you so much, John, for coming on my podcast today, Catalyst for Change. Tell me about that fateful day in 2015 that was a catalyst for change in your life. Well, it's almost five years to the date. Uh, I was sitting, I'm working IT as an IT consultant, and I was sitting at a customer site. I had what I thought was really bad heartburn. And I, I knew a lot of the signs for heart attacks were supposed to be like your left arm tangled or something. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard that heartburn, but what I did is I took my glasses off. I kind of put my head in my hand, and that's the last thing I remember, and I fell dead on the floor. Apparently, I was dead for over 20 minutes as ambulance arrived. They started CPR. They shocked me five times on the way to the hospital with no response. They shocked me two more times in the ER and brought me back. They got five years later. It's still hard to talk about. Yeah, it's okay. Take your time. They put a stand in and then they induced me into a coma to save my brain. Yeah. Uh, same time, you know, they told my cardiologist, who is still my cardiologist, Dr. Lou Cole, who I think is fabulous. Yeah. I told my wife, you know, he's in God's hands. And even if he recovers, even if he lives, he's probably been down long enough that he's going to have brain damage and won't be himself anymore. Oh, my gosh. I'm mostly myself. I'm still the same obnoxious SOB to a certain extent that I was before. But there's certainly been a lot of changes, uh, damage. I don't know what else to say, but I mean, I could go on for hours. About yeah, it. no, it's no, that, that sounds really traumatic for, for you to have to go through and that they put you in a coma and were really worried about your brain, you know, through this whole process. And you mentioned you had a, a brain bleed. Did you have a brain bleed? I don't know. Okay. I mean, when you look, I did have a brain. Here's the thing. Here's the timeline. August, 2015, I died. January, 2016, I had a second stint put in. Yeah. I kept complaining about what I'd have is I'd have, amongst other things, yeah. I'd have a severe headache at least once a week where I had to lay in a dark room for the day okay. and not look at my computer, not look at my phone, not look at any light. And yeah. this drove me insane because I'm not a person that likes to not do anything. Mm-hmm. I constantly badgered my cardiologist about what is wrong. And finally, in like May, they did a brain MRI. Since I work on computers, my ability to read a brain MRI is probably a bit is similar to most people trying to look at a security report off a server. You know, it's like, what the <laughs> hell is this? Yeah. So 
there was this line in there that said, I'm forced to find this as a real finding or forced to admit this is a real finding, which to me is like saying, oh my God, you have cancer. Tell me it's cancer. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have no idea what it really meant. Yeah. But that in there just was confusing as hell. So, so there was something they found on the MRI that the doctor was concerned about, and it was some kind of damage in your brain. And what did they do? What were the symptoms? You, you mentioned headaches, um, having to sit in a dark room. What, what kind of thing, what other symptoms were going on? That's a lot. I'm writing a book about this. Okay. I mean, just the I, overview. <laughs> I mean, uh, anytime you die or anytime you, anything yeah. happens with a heart attack, your memory suffers. So my memory is broken pretty badly. Okay. Uh, I have constant, I wake up every day, even now with chronic headaches. It's just a matter of how severe they are. Yeah. So medical people like to go from a scale of one to 10. Well, I wake up with at least a two, which I is, which is wonderful. It's moderate. So I'm fine. Yeah. And then sometimes I go to a seven or eight. I noticed since I work in IT, I was trying to pay attention to what was bothering me and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. When they gave me the brain MRI, I met with a neurologist and a neurosurgeon, and they had me go to speech language pathology therapy, SLP mm -hmm. therapy. Yeah. And through that, I discovered a lot of things that what really my problems were, I had to take a neuropsych evaluation, which was a terrible, horrible, awful experience. A whole day long. It was, it was painful. I mean, it was yeah. horrible. It was so painful. At one point, I had to take a break, and I went out and sent it down to my wife, and I, I bawled for a while. Wow. Because and it was so frustrating and painful. And were, was, that a, was that helpful in your treatment, your course of treatment? The neuropsych evaluation provided information to the SLP therapist to help me with things. And the SLP therapist was very helpful in helping me understand uh, how to deal with my headaches and energy management. Because what I also discovered was probably the, even now, probably the biggest problems I have are, you know, I mentioned the headaches. Yeah. But energy management in that if I work on complex issues or if I get myself into certain situations, it's, I can increase my headaches, which increase mental fatigue, which exhaust me in a very short time. Yeah. So I've learned how to deal with those things. Mostly, you know, you, sometimes it gets away from me and I end up, uh, I don't know, trying to hide from the world mostly. Yeah. And so, so what, what tools have you learned from, from that heart attack and that widow maker, as you called it, the widow maker heart attack and having those symptoms? How have you learned to manage those? Because you seem like you're, you know, you have your own podcast show, you're able to work still when they didn't really see a good prognosis for you at the time you were in a coma, you died. And it's just a miracle that you're with us and you're able to thrive and hold down a job and, you know have somewhat normal, normal things in your life. I would meet with people in the hospital, like a pharmacologist, you know, the, the speech language pathologist, things like that. And every time the first time I met with them, they'd have this look on their face and I couldn't figure out what it was. It'd be like this look of surprise or something. Yeah. And I, I finally looked at one of them uh, and I said, you expected me to be a really effed up person, didn't you? And she said, yeah, I did. I read your history 
and here you are. And, and I said, I'm not an effed up person. And she yeah. goes, yeah, they, uh, tools. I think the biggest tool was really, is really attitude. It, it sounds simple and it sounds like a cliche. Yeah. But the thing is, is <clears throat> when I was going through the period when I had these horrible headaches, I was really short tempered with my wife, who's my biggest supporter. Mm. And I wasn't very kind to people around me or my kids. And one morning <clears throat> I woke up <clears throat> and I realized that they went through this trauma too. Yeah. I wasn't the one that had to hear that speech about he's in God's hands. Gosh. I can't imagine what it was like for my wife to watch, watch me fight paralytic drugs they gave me to put me into a coma, you know, and had to be yeah. restrained. I can't imagine being her and calling my children. One had to fly back home from Arizona, one from Los Angeles, and them sit and wait to find out if I was going to come out of a coma and, you know, not be a blob or a drooling vegetable. Yeah. I probably would just say go Huskers repeatedly for the rest of my life. <laughs> terrible yeah. for everyone. Even <laughs> go Huskers. I love my Huskers. Yeah. I realized that morning that I needed to change. I needed to, I made the choice to just be happy because it's just a choice you can make no matter the circumstances. Now, I'm not saying that every day I'm happy. And I'm not saying that I treat my wife with ultimate respect and and graciousness or my children, because that's not true. What I don't do is I don't dwell in the darkness. Yeah. I don't dwell in feeling sorry for myself. I don't, I try to get up and do stuff every day. And what got you into that mindset? Like, how did you snap out of it from feeling, you know, having somewhat of a temper and being frustrated with your um, family and, you know, how did you snap out of that? What was the, the, the thing that made you snap out of that part? I think it, it really was just a choice. I mean, you have to remember my memory is crap and I can yeah, make so you do. stories. And, yeah, that's you know one of the I mean? good things. I can, <laughs> I can, every time my wife goes, do you remember that time you were a horrible person to me? No, I don't actually. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. But I, I think for me, it was just a choice. And then like, for example, when I first went to see the neurologist, she asked me, how are you? And I said, I'm happy because I choose to be. Yeah, no, that's good. And two years later, she still remembered who I was because I said that. And I tried to repeat that self to my, to, to me all the time. I tried to say, you can just make this choice and be happy. Yeah, no, uh, that's the good. Other tools, the other tools were, I learned from the SLP therapist that distractions were, would cause me great difficulty. For example, if I was working on a problem and... I'll give you an example. I was at a customer site where there's a warehouse and I had to work on this FedEx shipping software. And I was on the phone with FedEx trying to listen to this guy. And in the background, they were running forklifts. And this one guy was scraping on the floor, which was horribly loud. Yeah. That phone call with the FedEx guy probably lasted 30 minutes. But by the end of it, I was completely exhausted. Mm. My headache was like eight out of 10. And I, I went back to where I sit in that company and I sat down underneath my desk <laughs> and I pulled the chair over so nobody would see me just for a little bit so I could collect myself. Yeah. But what I learned was 
if there are distractions, especially audio in the background, when I'm trying to focus on something, it drives my brain completely insane. I get mentally fatigued in a very short time. I get headaches in a very short time. The two go together. Uh, I've learned how to try to control that. One of the things I do, well, number one, one of the things I do is I tell people, I, I literally tell them, I need you to be quiet. There's been times I've been on the phone with people who are talking in the background while I'm trying to work on a database server, and I've had to tell them, I need you guys to either shut up or I have to hang up. Yeah, yeah. And very abrupt like that, honestly, so they get the point. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I do is I will put on headphones. I carry headphones in my laptop bag, and I'll, I'll listen to video game music. Okay. I'm, you know, I'm 58. I still play video games. I love video games. I'm not that great at a lot of them because I'm old and slow. But Skyrim has some really fantastic movie uh, music. Uh, yeah. Far Cry 4, any of the Assassin's Creed video games, Final Fantasy. But they're all, they're, they don't have any words in them is the key. If I, there's words in the music, then I start listening to the words and then it screws up. It's a distraction. I can't focus. So this music from the video games is more like, it's kind of like people have the Calm app and they hear yes. waterfall sounds. So this to you is a meditative, um, a way to meditate. And yeah. that's, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that before. Video game music as being a form of that helps you meditate and remove your mind from that distraction that's going on. Well, I you like brought that. up meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, my SLP therapist, probably the biggest moment in, in my recovery or my ability to deal with this came when she made me do a puzzle. Yeah. And she made me do it three times. And the first time I struggled with it, the second time, I was terrible. And the third time I was very fast. And she said, well, what was the difference? And I said, I got used to it. And I tried to use my intuition rather than my thinking side. You know, if you read Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow, you have yeah. system one and system two. I read that kind of stuff when I was going through recovery because I got really frustrated with my doctors weren't telling me stuff. So yeah. I read medical books and psychology books all over the place. Anyway, what she pointed out was, is on the one I struggled with, she was talking in the background and she said, I was distracting you. And I was doing that on purpose to make a point. Oh. And I went, oh my God, you know, this is the thing. Interesting. And she also talked about resting your mind. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, sometimes when I'm working, I take out time and I read a book and she goes, that's not resting your mind. You're still yeah. using your mind when you're reading the book. And that's then she true. said, you should learn meditation. So I did. What I did was uh, I would lay down in a fetal position because most of my customers are good with me working at home. And then I, yeah. teach, I can do really the majority of my job from anywhere. So a lot of them were like, you know, if you need to just work at home, you're fine. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't want me driving in traffic anyway. Yeah. But I'd lay down in a fetal position and I would put my hands like I'm praying next to my head. And I would count my breaths going through my nostrils. Okay. All right. That's yeah. what, it's very simple. And if anybody listens to this, the first time you do it, it doesn't work. The mm -hmm. second time you do it, it doesn't work. But if you keep practicing, it gets better. So All counting right. those breaths as they yeah, go meditation, in meditation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's here, good. Here, here's the thing you need to understand about this. After a while, when I, when I got to like eight, I'd fall asleep and take a nap. Yeah. So you call it m meditation. Now it's naps for me. 
And that's resting your brain even, even more so than meditation. Yeah. yeah. So you can take, you can have a power app nap, which is what I use. Uh-huh. I, I put it on 20 minutes. I listen to rainstorms. I put on headphones. I go to sleep. I wake up. I feel refreshed. If I was developing a headache, it gets much better and I can go back to work. Now, the thing about that is you have to understand is this. I'm an old, crusty guy. <laughs> when you say meditation, I think, oh, good God, what is this crap? Because yeah. most of the time we sell meditation along with something like Zen or Buddhism. It's got to have be something attached to it, you There's, know? Yeah, it so, doesn't have to be attached. Yeah. Really, if you look at like old crusty men and you say, how about taking a 10-minute nap? They go, oh, I could do that. But meditation, <laughs> they're not going to buy into it. So meditation, nap, maybe. It's right, like the, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Now you mentioned, have you found any tools to help with memory and remembering things? You know, I have, but I don't use them. Okay. And here's the key to this. Everything we do requires mental energy. And what I've learned is that most of the memory techniques require energy themselves. Yeah. And I don't mean to be rude to people. But 90% of the stuff we think we should remember, we don't need to remember at all. Interesting. Okay. Like, like those guys, those, those, those guys out there, they, they go, I can remember everyone's name I've ever met. That's great. What's the value in that? Well, I impress people. Who cares? I don't care. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 90% of the stuff, I, what I remember is what I need to do my job and yeah make my customers happy and hopefully make my wife and family happy. And after that, everything else is, do I really need to remember what I ate yesterday? No. Yeah. So what I've done is I've actually, as, as time has gone on, I literally make no conscious effort to remember 90% of things. And I save myself the mental energy of actually doing that process. Okay. The, the memory game things mm-hmm. are like, you know, associate this with a color or, you know, when you meet Bob, associate him with, I don't know, a garage mechanic. Yeah. (laughs) But that, again, that takes mental energy to make that association. Yeah. When really, I'm probably not going to remember Bob. And I normally, when I meet Bob, I tell him right away, I'm probably not going to remember your name very well. Yeah. I tried the thing where you repeat it back to him. Yeah. And they always kind of look at you like you're weird. Yeah. Uh, when I first started working again, I would tell people I have a brain injury. And what they do is they look at me like I, like I was going to start killing, I'd go on a murder spree or something. They just yeah, give me- Yeah, because you look normal, oh. right? Right. They're like, what, what now? Are you going to start yeah. sacrificing chickens in the office? I don't know what that means, you know? And a brain injury looks so different between two different people. I mean, it, it's so many factors that go into, right. you know, how you, what your symptoms look like. And yeah. the, the other problem with it is, is in my case, it's invisible. It's very invisible. You're right. Yeah. If I, if I go, if I had like my arm in a cast. Yeah. Treat me completely differently. Yep. But when they look at me now, I just look like a normal crusty old man. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And they don't, they go, well, this guy is perfectly fine. And the reality is, is I'm not perfectly fine, but I'm pretending as well as I can. I do have speech problems. I'm doing very well on this podcast, but there are times at which I, I will look at my family and whatever comes out of my mouth is completely unintelligible. Okay. 
and or the words will be jumbled up and they yeah. they they abuse me endlessly with great fun so they're able to joke around with you and yeah. and yeah. now do they need to help you in any way as caregiver type you know like a caregiver relationship or i'm going to say no because it's my ego yeah <laughs> I think they just, they need to help me in, in being patient with, there are some times that I, I don't do a good job of remembering, remembering things that they've told me. So they have to put up with me asking the same bloody question four days in a row, you know? Okay. My wife might tell me about something that's going on in the family and, and the next day I'll go, oh, what happened to Bob? And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I told you this yesterday and she's very patient about that. That's good. That's good. So it sounds like you found some great tools to, you know, m about meditation and memory and um, ways to get that auditory processing, you know, like to get that distraction out of your head when, when people are talking at the same time you're trying to do something. Um, so tell me what you're doing now. You mentioned you're in IT and you, you also mentioned that you're doing a memoir. Um, tell me about that. Well, I've been an IT consultant for 30 years. Okay. Somewhere in there. Uh, I, it's, I've been a consultant my entire career, so I've enjoyed working with a lot of different companies and a lot of different people. I've worked in probably every industry you can think of. Nice. Uh, one of the reasons why I do this is because there are times at which I'm very tough to work with, and I figured that if I worked with the same people all the time, they'd want to murder me. <laughs> so if I move around a lot, they don't get tired of my obnoxious behavior and my kind of intensity sometimes. Uh, I am saving lives in doing that, mostly my own. Uh, I have written a book, or I'm in the process. It's going to be turned over to a copy editor in early September. Right now, it's called Been Dead, Never Been to Europe. Okay. Because my wife and I were out shopping, and we ran into this friend of ours, and she was telling us about how she was going to Spain with her daughters. And I was very jealous. And I looked at her, and I said, you know what? I have never been to Europe. I've been dead, but I have never been to Europe. So and that's a catchy title. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, interesting. And I, the memoir is the time, you know, from August 21st, 2015, pretty much up till now. Okay. Uh, it's what I had to go through to recover from the widow maker and the, the brain injury. And I tried to be very honest about it. <clears throat> uh, you know, it, it's, it's sucked and it's also been bizarre. And the reason why it's been somewhat bizarre is I don't remember anything about being in the hospital. Yeah. I was in the hospital for 10 days, seven days in intensive care. And all of it is like a blur to me. Yeah. I, I remember some pieces of it, but I don't, you know, the, there were apparently a lot of people that came to visit me, but I don't, I don't remember any of them. Yeah. I remember, uh, the first time I, when I woke up, I'll tell you, I, okay, I'll tell you a story that has been removed from the memoir. And okay. All right? Yeah. I have a big dent in my head. There's okay. literally, at the top of my head, there's a very large dent in my skull. And when I first woke up, I reached up and touched my head, and there's this big dent in my head, and there's a big dent on the back of my head. And nobody is talking about this. Nobody says... And that wasn't I mean, there before. Why is there a dent in my head? Yeah. Paying attention to me because they don't care. And we never did discover why there's a giant dent in my head. 
And you didn't, did you fall and, and hit your head or nobody, nobody knows? We did. It, it couldn't have been the fall to the floor because the angles don't work. Okay. The working theory is that my colleague, Bill, who I was with when I fell on the floor dead, yeah. hit me in the head repeatedly to try to kick me out of his office into the hallway. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So when, uh, we, when we tell this story together, people look at us like, is he, are you really is he joking? Uh, yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Like, uh, I don't remember being in the hospital. Did you and, have stitches in your head when you woke no. up or nothing with your head? Okay. And uh, now the thing about that, not remembering it is to me, I didn't see it as a huge trauma. I saw it as this is no big problem and I'll be over this in a couple of weeks. So that's good. Maybe it was a protective mechanism that you weren't able to remember the hospital. Sounds like. Uh, it, it does. And my cardiologist said as much. And then what I did was I went back and rediscovered everything right in this bloody book. Yeah. Kind of weird, but again, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to, it was hard to go back and look at everything and, and actually kind of interview everybody about what really happened to me because I didn't know. Yeah. Now the thing about that is, is here's the thing with a brain injury. Uh, I don't. What is your audience? Is your audience other brain people or is it? My audience is all kinds of people. So other people in the brain injury. I'm a I'm a traumatic brain injury educator for okay. the military and for veterans. Um, so some of those folks are in my network. Um, yeah, a lot of different people, and then people that have no medical experience. So yeah. The thing about having a brain injury is, at least in my case, I understand they're all different. In my case, what it did was it quite made me question who I was because yeah. your memory has been shattered. Your life's been shattered. And, you know, I have a big dog that's laying next to me and she needs walked every day. And sometimes when I go on those walks, I think maybe this is all just a giant lie. Maybe I was, you know, kidnapped by aliens. Yeah. Maybe I was brainwashed by Russians <laughs> and I go, ha, 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 except that it's not a ha, ha, ha thing. It's yeah. really, I don't understand what happened. Sometimes I think this is a giant lie. And it's like, really I've bad. never had that. Maybe it's, I never had that heart attack or brain injury. Right. Cause you feel, you seem fine. Everybody thinks you're fine cause it's invisible and you're right. still able to work and you're still able to write a book, which is a huge undertaking. Um, that takes a lot of skill and tenacity and grit to be able to write a book. And how else are you paying it forward after your brain injury? The book is part of it, but. Well, I guess, honestly, this is the first time I've talked publicly about it other okay. than my own podcast where I usually do it in a joking manner. Okay. Uh, I'd, I'd like to do this more. I, it's time for me to start talking about it. I Good. did. My cardiologist had me meet with another heart attack. I know I'm not supposed to say victim. But survivor. Like, yeah, you're supposed to say survivor so we all feel better. But sometimes it's okay to say victim because you need, to, they, you need those moments every once in a while to feel sorry for yourself. Again, yeah. as long as you don't dwell in the darkness, right? You don't yeah. sit there, turn into a blob. Yeah. I had one so, more thing about tools. You know, the other tool I discovered is in my part-time I run – a Nebraska website about Nebraska college sports, mostly football, obviously, for Nebraska people. Yeah. Uh, I write, I do podcasting. 
one of the other things I do is I shoot photography and I shoot college sports. There's none going on right now, which is actually mentally painful because I miss yeah. it. But I didn't pick up a camera for two years. And the reason After. I didn't pick one up is because I was afraid I would have forgotten how to use it. Yeah. And I get credentialed to go to games. My neighbor, Brent, has about $84 bazillion worth of Canon professional gear. And I asked him, you know, on the way to the game, did you bring any extra bodies, you know, extra camera equipment? And he said, yes. And I said, you know, if they'll let us have more than one vest, we have to wear vests when we're on yeah. the field. I want to go on the field and try to use a camera. And he said, okay. And we went and asked in Minnesota. It was the Nebraska-Minnesota 2017 game, which was a disaster for Nebraska. Uh, I went on the field, you know, with a camera and I shot for a while and I felt good about it. My photos weren't, they weren't terrible. I didn't forget everything. Every once in a while it was glitchy, but I started doing that more and more. You know, I ended up shooting the, the final four for volleyball when Nebraska played Stanford. I've shot the College World Series. This past winter, I was set to shoot the NCAA Wrestling Championship in Minneapolis, and that got canceled due to COVID. But I really love doing this. I mean, I love, love doing it. And, but and the thing about it is, when I go to these events, I'll give you an example. I went to the Minnesota-Nebraska basketball game, and I sat directly in front of the student band. So I had three, two cymbals right next to my right ear, and a tri-drum behind my head. And how did that go with the being distracted and trying to do photography? The thing with that is, what I discovered is this, is when you're at a sporting event, you have to focus on everything outside of yourself. Yeah. So I completely forgot about my own problems for the, at least for like two or three hours, which yeah. was amazing to me. I was just so focused on the external that I never focused on me. Yeah. The other thing I've discovered, you want to hear a really good story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went down to a dirt track in Oklahoma City. Yeah. And I asked ahead of time if I could shoot the, you know, the races and stuff. And they said, yeah, but you have to wear a vest. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. I need to wear a vest. My brother sponsors a, a young teenage guy in a, in a, what's called a midget. Oh, I've smaller, heard of those. Yeah. Midgets and micros and it's smaller than a sprint car, which are mm -hmm. unbelievably fun explosive cars yeah uh, okay when you're standing on the infield in this track you have to always be watching the cars because if they lose an engine or they lose their brakes they come in on the infield and if you're not watching you're going to die yeah you have being to be run careful. over by a football player yeah okay at one point during this i got too far out on the track and a young woman, there was an accident directly in front of me and a young woman just moved into the infield and came so close to me, I felt her exhaust across my leg. Oh my gosh. And, you know, I turned and I looked and one of the other photographers had saucers for eyes and she looked like she was about to pass out, honestly. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is what it's about. <laughs> no fear, right? Yeah, no I just, fear. This is the greatest moment of my life so far. But it, Did you I, get a good I, picture? Well, I, I took a lot of them. I did an article about it. The track loved because they thought it was, yeah. You know, her I missed completely. It was so fast. I, I wouldn't have been able to move. And yeah. It, for, for that short period of time or when you're doing that, the focus is on external to you. So you don't think about your own problems. You don't think about my old man knees hurt. Or, yeah. 
my brain hurts or gee, I'm getting a worse headache. Now, after some of those events, I did have horrible headaches, but what I've also, what I've figured out is that, for example, right now, when I'm focusing on what you're saying and there's no other distractions around me, uh, this is really a marvelous time. Yeah. And I enjoy it immensely. Yeah, I really appreciate you telling me about your story, and I think it's going to help a lot of other people. And I hope you do find ways to, to talk about it in survivor groups of people that have had a brain injury from a heart attack or a stroke or you know various different things because it's really important to to put your story out there. Now, do you, can you think of anything we may not have covered um, during our conversation? There is one more. Yeah, my wife told me that when I was extubated and came out of the coma and could eat for the first time the nurse came to me and she said okay we want you to eat something what do you want to eat i looked at her and i said i don't want any peanut butter i hate peanut butter and then my wife said every time that the nurses would come and ask me what i wanted to eat i would repeat that i hate peanut butter i don't want any peanut butter and where did that hated, come from? <laughs> I never hated peanut butter before being in a coma. I don't understand where that comes from. Even now, I cannot eat pe- Reese's peanut butter cups, and they're the most wonderful candy on the planet. I, I can't But you can't stomach it. Yeah. So it's completely bizarre. So things in your brain change, and it changes like what your tastes are. And um, it, yeah, changes in your brain can do a number of really interesting things complex things. There's so much we don't know about our brain still. Um, And same with the researchers. That's why we're always doing more research. So, well, thank you so much, John, for coming on the show. And um, I'll make sure to post a link to your, your podcast and to how to get in touch with you. And yeah, so thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to Catalyst for Change, and my name is Jessica Huckabay, your host. Join us next week for another story of resiliency. And please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And feel free to leave me a comment or email me at catalystforchange20 at gmail.com. Or on Facebook, we have a page at Catalyst for Change Resiliency.